Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. And I'm Tim Cronin. And we're going to continue our multi-section discussion about closing argument. The first episode we did was kind of an intro section about the purpose of closing argument. And then we had two sections broken up into tips for closing argument. And now we're going to go into framework for presenting damages specifically. Obviously, your framework and the things you're going to cover is going to depend on the type of case you have, whether it's a property damage case or an injury case or a death case. But some of the same rules can be applied as far as the framing of how you're going to put it together. So kind of an introduction section for that framework. And the first is to provide a rational basis for damages. And John, can you kind of? Sure. I think one of the toughest things is arguing an amount for damages. And I'm not talking about the medical bills or if there's a life care plan, but pain and suffering damages. You know, somebody who's paralyzed in a wheelchair, somebody who has been burned, somebody in a death case. I would say virtually no one that you're going to have on that jury has ever given a thought to the method of how they do that. And a lot of people, and you should have found this out in Vordier, because if you haven't, then it's probably too late, have some resistance to that. It's like, well, money won't bring them back. Money won't fix the problem. You know, I have no what, way to calculate right, what you're it's, asking it's, me to do. Right. I just don't understand. It's you know, more money than I've ever right. seen or could so, ever see in my life. And those are understandable concerns. Those are barriers you have to kind of right. break. Right. And through. I think, in, you know, you start out in Vordire by when people say, I don't know how I could do that or it would be difficult for me to do that. What I always say is, look, you will be given instructions, and in those instructions, you will be given guidance from the court in terms of what the law requires you to do to assess damages in this case. You set that up for close when you go over the instructions a little bit. And again, I'm talking about non-economic damages, you know, pain for injuries, pain for disability, a wrongful death, loss of a life. I think the most important thing is to provide the jury with a rational basis for the number that you're suggesting or the range that you're suggesting. Yeah, you can't just come out and say a big number. People will go, oh, okay, the lawyer's trying to get rich wants a huge number. You have to put time into convincing people there's a reason for it. And there and should be a reason sense. for it. And there should right. be. You know, I always come back to this, that if you truly do follow the law, however it's worded, you need to fairly and fully compensate the person for whatever the injury is. I don't care if it's a broken leg, a broken arm, a broken neck, paralyzed. Who in their right mind would willingly go through what your client went through for any amount of money? And I think that's part of the problem. It's such a horrific thing to go through many times that people have trouble putting a number on it. Not because it's not deserving. It's because if they really truly followed the law, the number would be so high they have trouble with the size of the number. There's a foundation for this that goes really deep in our society. There's a metaphor of moral accounting. You know, we use words like you're in my debt. I owe you a favor, things like that. And so there's an intuitive thing going on here that I think when you talk about the rational basis, it's not like we're just concocting a mathematical formula, but the jury hopefully will be feeling all of this just by the facts of the case. So really there's five parts of the framework and let me just throw them out there. The first we just discussed, provide a rational basis for damages, and then you need to show what the law requires, explain what the law does not allow, and we'll get into some detail about that. Make sure to highlight the emotional aspects of your client's damages 
and use memorable examples. So let's start with going over the damage instructions in detail. When I talk about rational basis, I mean what the law requires them to do, what their job is. For instance, fairly and justly compensate the plaintiff for any damages you believe she sustained and is reasonably certain to sustain in the future. And that's pretty close to what most instructions cases. that I've seen in most jurisdictions yeah. for personal injury and cases. So I think you want to let the jury know this is what is required, emphasize what the law requires, and point out what the law does not allow, okay? If you're in deliberations and somebody has difficulty with the concept, go back to the law, go back to the instruction to see what's being required. And I look at the instructions too and specifically show how the jury instructions essentially don't allow a lot of the arguments that people make who don't want to give damages. Yeah. And, you know, dog whistles that I think the defense gives out. I don't really hear them like overtly said as much as you might years ago, because I think courts have recognized that it's improper. But after deliberations and after a verdict, I'll talk to jurors. And a lot of the following things are people who voted against us, things that they were directly back there arguing that have nothing to do with the instructions. Like, well, I just didn't think the plaintiff needed as much as what was being asked for to get by. Or... In a med mal case, I really like my doctor and I don't think people should be sitting in judgment of a doctor. That's more of a liability thing. But another example, money isn't going to fix the problem. What are some other ones? Some that I've heard over the years, bad things happen sometimes. Just deal with it. And they'll use that as a, not just a liability, but as a reason to not give damages. Yeah. I know somebody, and I heard this in I focus in groups. In, focus in, group in Bordier, Right. And it's, uh, you know, Uncle Jimmy, the same thing happened to him and he sued and didn't get any money or he lost his case or. Yeah. Or he got a hundred grand. You're right. He got a hundred thousand uh, dollars. You know, the lawyers will get all the money. And I will tell you, I just picked a jury in a case about 30 days ago in a county near St. Louis, Franklin County, actually. It was a punitive damage component to the case. We were going to ask for a very, very significant amount of money. And in Vordaer, the question was, who here has any hesitation or difficulty considering a large amount, a significant amount, if the law allows for it and the evidence supports it? And one of the guys flat out just said, well, I had a case where I was involved in, he was a defendant in the case. You know, it settled for, it was some ridiculously low amount and all the money went to the lawyers and the lawyers got all the money and that opened up a discussion, which was a good thing. Yeah. You should have done that in Vordaer. You should have identified the people who feel that way, who are not willing to follow the instructions. You need to bring that in, in Vordaer. And then in close is when you put the instruction up there and say, these are arguments that you might hear back in the jury room. And none of them, none of them are what's in this instruction. You're not allowed to base your decision on damages other than the extent of the harms. And, and every it. one of you on this jury has a right to require the other people on the jury to base their decision on what is allowed in this instruction and not on what's not allowed. Other arguments that we hear now and then are, well, the family's doing a great job of taking care of her or him. Right. The person's, you know, quadriplegic in they a wheelchair. They can just keep doing it. Yeah, they can just keep doing it. And so I think the good reason for the instructions is to not just let people know what it requires, what the law requires, but what it doesn't allow, what's out of bounds, what's out of the box. We talked about arming your jurors in the earlier session. You know what? You got to arm them on damages also. You go back and you say, if people talk about this, if they want to cut down damages because something else happened to somebody else in some different case, none of that is relevant as far as what the law is requiring you to do in this case. Right. You know, some people just aren't going to give you truthful answers in voir dire if they feel this way. They're just not going to raise their hand and they're not going to do it. And you can't just assume everybody who feels this way did. You have to get into it and you have to explain, in general, push back against this idea that, well, it's not going to change anything. The money's not going to do any good. This is just like trying to win the lottery. And that's not what people are supposed to base their decision on. 
You know, the next aspect in the framework I think you want to focus on is trying to put things in perspective for the jury. If you just are saying my client is hurt and you're just focusing on that without trying to put things in perspective in a way the jury can understand, you might be in trouble because the reality is the damages are hard to assess because what's lost is generally priceless. And so I think you have to focus on the things we're dealing with in this case are some of the things we value most in life. You need to put a dollar amount. You need to fully and fairly compensate my client for being paralyzed, not being able to walk. And so where do we start? Well, I always start with what we value most in life. And what I try to do too, is I try to bring out things that are the consequences of the disability. It's not just the disability. It's not just having a broken leg. It's not just having had two or three surgeries in your back. It's how those things have affected your ability to live and enjoy life. So what are those things that we value most? Our health and well-being. And I'll ask that in Vordire. If say, you have your health, you have right. everything. And I will, not by name, but with either or not, or looking at the particular juror, if they're still on there, who made the comment in Vordire. Look at what comments were made by the folks that are on your jury about those things. Nothing is more important than our health. I mean, our family, faith, and health is probably third on the list. Our mobility, being able to walk. Again, those are personal things, and I think it even gets beyond that. You know, as a father, as a grandfather, as an uncle, aunt, mother, being able to take care of our family. I mean, everybody's got a family. Just think of the pride, the satisfaction, the joy that you get from being able to care for your loved ones. A lot of times you'll have the person who's injured who was the primary provider in the family, whether it's a mother or a father, and now they've got their kids having to help them and get them, help them go to so the So their purpose in life has kind right. of been flipped in addition to losing their independence and freedom, which is highly valued in this country. Yeah, being, being an active father, hands-on grandmother. The other thing too, dignity, freedom. Freedom means being able to live our lives the way we want to live them. And because of the defendant's negligence, because of the injuries in the case, they've altered that life. They've taken the most important things away. So I think you really need to talk about what we value most. And I use the examples, obviously, of whatever happened to your client in the case and the extension of that, how that affects these other things that we're talking about. And then what I try to do is I try to come up with some examples of what we as a community or as a society, examples of values we place on other things that are far, far less important. In order to put our clients' damages and what they lost into the appropriate perspective. Absolutely. For instance, a painting that sells for $100 million, sports figure salaries. You might pick a particular player depending on where you're at. I like using CEO salaries. I've even used CEO salaries of the company that is a defendant yeah. in the case. What we do for search and rescue missions, what we do to protect people, to save people's lives, there was a story years ago of a little girl who was caught in a well, a pipe down in Texas, and the entire world was captivated for the, I don't know, 48, 72 hours that she was down there. And they brought in experts from all over the world. The entire community was focused on trying to save this little girl, and they were successful. I'd bring that up sometimes and say, not a person there nor here would question spending any of those resources to try to save this little girl's life. You know, just some good examples to put it in perspective. So the idea is to show how the things that your client lost are the things we value most compare to the value we place on other things that are far, far less important to put these things in perspective. And so once you've kind of put into perspective the importance of the types of injuries and damages and effect it has on somebody's life, then you really need to get into the specifics, which hopefully you've done in the evidence already, 
specifically the harms and losses that your client has suffered that have been presented in the evidence to remind the jury about exactly what your client has been through or not been through. And these include physical harms, pain and impairment, you know, go through different medical treatment that they've had. I mean, I think first establish, which you've hopefully already done, exactly what the physical injuries are that they have suffered and the mechanism and horrifying nature of when they suffered them. But then everything they've had to been through as a result, surgical or medical procedures, go through them. If there's a lot of them, you know, remind them how much your client has had to be through long hospitalizations, recovery period and rehab for those surgeries and then move on to medical conditions that your client is left with. We always try to use visuals, especially on the damages. You might have somebody who's had 15 different surgeries. We had a burn case where they were months in burn units in different hospitals and different procedures, just to sort of visualize that so you're not spending 15 minutes or 10 minutes on it, especially if there's a lot of medical treatment. I'll have a board or a chart you know, of harms and losses, and on one, we might put surgical and medical procedures just briefly popping it up there, going over the surgeries and medical procedures that they've already heard about, the hospitalizations, the diagnostic tests, x-rays that have been done, recovery period for each of those surgeries. And then we might put another slide up with medical conditions they're left with. In other words, first start out with the treatment they had to endure and the recovery periods, and then maybe another PowerPoint with what they're left with, fatigue, chronic pain, maybe bowel or bladder dysfunction in a paralysis case, spasticity, inability to exercise, secondary infection from bed sores, shortened life expand, and on and on. All of these things that you should have developed through the medical testimony and the yeah. depositions as to what are the consequences. You got the medical treatment, and then you're left with these medical conditions well, it's not just saying, well, he's diagnosed with a brain injury. What does that mean? Yeah, all the aspects of right. it. And then move on to the physical impairment that results from it. Go over it in detail. Yeah. Can't walk or has pain and difficulty walking, stuck in a chair for the rest of their life. I mean, these are extreme examples, but I think especially the worse the injury, the more the jury already understands how terrible it probably is. So when they're not as bad, you really have to make sure to explain the day-to-day -day difference that it has had. And I think life. that's a big thing too, not just talking about the medical treatment, the medical conditions, the physical impairment. But I think where the rubber hits the road is really showing how those injuries affect your client day to day. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And give specific examples. And so when you're prepping with your client, hopefully before their depo in the case and try to get an understanding of it when you first meet with them, but especially before trial, really try to focus on going through their day with them and their weeks with them to get specific examples that they may not be thinking about as much anymore because they've been dealing with it for a while of how their activities of daily living are so much different than the things people who haven't suffered their injury take for granted. Like they can't tie their shoes anymore. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we do all the time, and it's going to depend obviously on the severity of the case. If it's a soft tissue case, I don't know that it would be too helpful doing this, but if you've got a very serious injury, paralysis, or just inability to get around, you got to spend some time with your client at their house. I've done that multiple times. I had a case where a medical doctor who was in a rollover roof crush case, he was a very, very upbeat guy and still working, just a terrific guy to be around. And he was paralyzed. He's in a wheelchair. And it didn't really hit home. You know, you could say, well, you're still working, right? And it hasn't affected that. And then I spent a day with him. I started out in the morning at his house and just the routine, it took three people an hour and a half to get him out of bed and get him dressed. It was an hour and a half. It was 90 minutes. Then going into breakfast and having you know assistants trying to get him fed. And then at the office, he had an assistant able to write stuff. I mean, it really was incredible what he had to go through just to get through a day. I mean, it really put it in perspective for me 
And I don't know how in the world you're able to convey that to another person, explain that to the jury, unless you've seen it. John, how do you adapt when the injury is pain? It might be severe pain, but they can do everything they used to do, but their entire day is filled with pain. Everything hurts. Anybody's response to someone being in pain and, and how much pain that is, is going to be affected in large part by who that person is, what they think of your client. And whether they've experienced any kind of significant pain over a period of yeah. time in their own lives. Yeah. And understand how like life-changing and yeah. debilitating it is. One of the things, I did this early on in my career when I was handling cases with a back surgery, an arm surgery or something, a carpal tunnel surgery or whatever, I don't know anybody who's had back surgery where they're said they're fine now. <laughs> they're not having any problems. <laughs> yeah, I've never if you been. have a case where someone had a successful surgical procedure, but they're still experiencing some disability and some pain and it's ongoing and it ain't going away. What I do is I'll pick somebody on the panel in Vordire and say, or I'll, I'll just ask who here has had back surgery and you get a few hands going up. When did you have that? Okay, great. And did that go well? Was it successful? Yes, it was. Was your doctor happy with it, right? Were you released? You're not going to the doctor anymore? Yeah, great. So I guess your back doesn't hurt you anymore, huh? And yeah. they're like, uh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'll say, well, wait a minute. You said the surgery is successful. Everything went as planned and you're still having back pain? How can that be? And of course, the people will be laughing because everybody understands just because the surgery is, quote, successful doesn't mean your problems fixed. are over, right? Doesn't mean it's fixed. Yeah, so try to get all these specific examples of going through your own day and asking them what that part of their day is like, what their morning routine is like. Can they bathe themselves, comb their own hair, issues with bowel or bladder control, run, jump, go on walks with their spouse or kids or friends or loved ones. Somebody with a back injury or a shoulder injury, can you pick up your grandkids or your kids anymore? Can you travel, engage in whatever kind of physical activities you used to like to do? If you have carpal tunnel syndrome and you used to play the organ at church every Sunday and that was a highlight of your week, can you not do that anymore? See out of town family, exercise, able to attend children's school functions. Just, you know, you got to try to give specific, concrete life examples that everybody can relate to that has altered your client's life. Yeah, I think you need to go through and, again, spend some time with your client and get the best understanding you can of how the injury has affected their day to day. Whether it's not being able to tie shoes, can't bathe, can't comb your hair, can't run, bowel, bladder, it could be more serious things. You know, you don't need to be paralyzed for an injury to have pretty significant effects on what you're able to do to live your life. You know, I've represented people who've gotten hit on bikes who would ride their bikes. So Eric, you're a bike rider. Right. You love hiking and outdoors. It's who you are. And you really need to look at how the injury changed who you are. What was taken was some of the things that they may have enjoyed most in their life or looked forward to most in their life. Yeah, these aren't things that you just happen to do in the aggregate. This is your life. Yeah. So I just wrapped up an auto pedestrian accident case where our client was hit in a crosswalk while she had the right of way. It was on video. It's a horrible accident that happened. Our client sustained a number of fractures and injuries to you know her pelvis and other parts, but a worse injury was her knee injury. She had surgery and went through rehab. She can walk again, but six days a week, she used to jog four to five miles a day, and she can never do that again. She used to do yoga every day. She can't do that anymore. She used to go to the gym five times a week on top of the rest. I mean, that really was a huge part of her life. It was she who she was. It's who, it was she, who was. she was. Right. And it was her life largely was work and then enjoying staying physically fit and doing all this activity. There wasn't much room for else other than eating and sleeping. And that was just completely taken away from her. And so we made sure to focus on that. And the case ended up not being tried. 
Well, I think this is probably a good breaking point. We're in the middle of our framework for arguing damages and closing argument. We'll pick back up next time, switching over kind of the emotional harm side and then asking for an amount, etc. So join us next time to continue this closing argument discussion. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm Eric Vieth. I'm John Simon. See you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And if you want a lively look at life and law from a female attorney's point of view, check out our Heels in the Courtroom podcast. Subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.